Welcome to the Dildork Storky Discourse on sex, dating, and masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and I'm married to a fetishist. Ooh, that sounds like some kind of great primetime TV special that I'd want to tune into. Who are you, friend? I'm Bex. I'm a sex educator and porn maker, and I am eventually I'm going to have a foot fetish. Let's, let's, I have a pending foot fetish. <laughs> It's it just grows by the day, though. <laughs> yeah, that happens sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I thought it would be fun for us to talk about fetishes because, like, we spend a lot of this show talking about kink, which is a slightly different concept. Um, and that's actually my first mm-hmm. question because it's a big debate is what is the difference between a fetish and a kink? What's your understanding of the distinction there? Yeah, well, I mean... Colloquially, they are used interchangeably often, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it's one of those things like top and dominant, where like they they have distinct meanings, but people use them in all kinds of different ways to describe all kinds of things. Um, And the definitions are kind of blurry. What I tend to get it down to, though, is I look at kinks as... BDSM things doing with pow- that deal with power play or pain or bondage and that sort of thing. And fetishes are more uh, ties to a particular object. And if you go down to like the very specific definition, it is someone who needs a particular object, or I guess I think it's always objects. Yeah. I know I've. I think it's, it's usually like an, an object or a body part is how I've often seen it yeah. described. Although yeah, I do think there need- are. There are people who identify as having like a fetish for activities, but mm-hmm. I mean the definition is sort of up for debate. Murky, as we're yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it, they're rooted in the idea of fetish objects, right? But mm-hmm. um, and the like strictest definition is that you need that object in the room in order to come, mm-hmm. uh, or to be thinking use- about it. Yeah, or to be thinking about it or engaging with it in some sort of way, right? Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, people use these words in a lot broader ways. Yeah, I remember reading a tweet from Tina Horn, who I think is a kink genius, about mm-hmm. uh, or she was basically saying that she doesn't think that definition is good, like the one about uh, that you need it in order to mm-hmm. orgasm or whatever. And I, she didn't explain why, and I didn't really want to bug her to ask her, but I looked into it, and one of the reasons that people have been criticizing that definition is that there's actually substantial research about fetishists and what they are into and like what their sex lives are like, and most of them still enjoy sex that doesn't involve their fetish. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's interesting. I, I do think it's kind of one of those things where like, if you feel like you have a fetish, you can call it that. Um, yeah. I don't think we need to police the language too much. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, that definition is very much, I think, rooted in a like clinical and diagnostic one. Mm-hmm. And I would not be surprised to hear that it's fairly reductive. Um, it's yep. certainly also not been my experience of the fetishists I've met. Like, much more often, they have been like, oh, yeah, these are some of my favorite things. But, mm-hmm. like, sex still feels good. Yeah, like, I, I still like blowjobs, sure, right? Um, that is much more my experience. So I imagine I would have encountered more of the other were that yeah. I don't know, more common. <laughs> I'm out there a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my partner identifies as having a hypnosis fetish. 
mm-hmm. the way that they've explained it to me is like uh, a lot or even maybe most of their fantasies uh, either involve hypnosis or are just sort of like tangentially connected to it in some way, like some mm-hmm. idea of like mind control or spaciness or, you know, some element of that. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's a really key thing to their sexuality in the sense that like a relationship without it, uh, would be missing something crucial for them. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of more how I think of it. Like there are a lot of kinks of mine that I enjoy from time to time and find fun and find to be a turn on, but there are only Mm -hmm. probably two or three that if they were not present at all in a relationship, I would really, really notice and miss them a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. I think what's fascinating, too, is that kind of one of the key parts often of fetishes, uh, the way I hear people use it, is that it's usually describing something that is not inherently sexual. Mm -hmm. Like, I have heard people say things like, I have a fetish for blowjobs, but like, it's, (laughs) it, it. (laughs) <laughs> sounds different, right? It does. It's not yeah. generally how you would expect someone to use that word. Um, mm-hmm. It is so. There's something to it about, I don't know, receiving sexual pleasure from a something that would generally be seen as non-sexual, mm-hmm. which is always interesting to me in a way, like slightly separate from kink. Just the concept of being sexually turned on by a non-sexual thing mm-hmm. is hot to me I think because it has that kind of ability to like play in public and like Mm. secret thrill kind of thing going on yeah that actually leads into another really common question about fetishes which I love to discuss which is like where do they come from um Mm. I'm sure you know this but can I give a little rundown on the science as I understand it Okay, so I looked into this like probably a year-ish ago because I was writing an article about it for client. And there's a bunch of theories about fetish Mm -hmm. formation. Um, Some people say that they really were just born that way. Uh, And Mm -hmm. some people within that group say that maybe they were born with a certain like sort of general predilection like masochism. And then based on their life Mm -hmm. experiences, it sort of sharpens into a particular manifestation of that, like spanking or flogging or what have have you. Um, There -hmm. are also people who say that they had like a formative childhood experience that sort of connected the idea of this thing with uh, sex or excitement. Like a story I always remember from a study is there was a person who would, uh, when they were a kid, they would go into the bathroom and masturbate. And because there was no lock on the door, they had to always have their hand on the doorknob to make sure nobody would come in. Mm. And so they developed a doorknob fetish, which makes complete sense. And is just such a classic example. Um, There's also theories of, like, classical conditioning, like, sort of having something be Mm. linked with, uh, you know, the the sexual stimuli linked with the fetish stimuli over time can cause a fetish. And there's actually Mm -hmm. a study where scientists tried to give some some men a fetish for rubber boots by pairing pictures Mm. of rubber boots with sexy pictures of, like, naked ladies and stuff. Um, And Mm -hmm. they were actually able to induce, like, a mild fetish. It was not as intense as, like a standard, you know, inborn fetish. And then there's also, like, neurological theories. Uh, Like, there's Mm. the theory that there's crosstalk between the area of the brain that uh, transmits, like, feet sensations versus genital sensations because they're close together. So that could be one of the reasons why foot fetishes are so common. Mm -hmm. Um, I read a study a while ago, which was about a man who had a safety pin fetish, and it was, Mm. like, connected to his 
epilepsy, such that when he had a surgery to remove a part of the brain that was causing epileptic fits, uh, mm-hmm. his fetish also disappeared. Which is so, fascinating. Yeah, it is. That was like a really interesting story. I'll put a link in the show notes if anybody wants to read my like breakdown of that study because I found it so interesting. But yeah. um, given all that data, it really seems like fetish formation is not as simple or as like singularly explainable as we want it to be. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you have thoughts on like where you think fetishes come from. Yeah, I mean, I think... Like you said, I don't think it can be reduced down to anything. I think there is also, it's very easy for us to look, I mean, confirmation bias is a thing, right? It's very easy for us to look back at our past and say, ah, this is where this came from, because I have this one memory that lines up and that makes sense and sure. Mm -hmm. And I think we reduce a lot of complexity of experience that way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And... I am fascinated by the, like, question of where this comes from. And every time people talk about this, I can't help but think about how, like, we we tend to own, like, this idea of what makes you this way is something that we tend to do about bad things, right? Yep. It's also a conversation we tend to have around queer and trans folks. Like, one of the things my mom regularly asks me is, like, what did I do to make you this way? So, like, <laughs> I don't... I don't know. I, while it is fascinating to me as like a very naturally curious person, it's also a debate that like worries me to have as like one of the more prominent debates around the community. There are so many other more interesting things, I think, to talk about, about the ways like people engage with their kinks and that sort of thing, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think it's very complicated. And like when mm-hmm. even when that debate is not coming from people outside the community and is actually coming from fetishists themselves, it often does mm-hmm. seem to be with some element of like, what could I have done differently that would have not made me this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I agree. It can be a little bit of a complex subject morally to discuss. Um, yeah, well, and I love ch- like, and I love sitting around with kinksters and being like, "Tell me about like, uh, <laughs> off the cuffs does your like spider bite into kink or whatever." But yeah. like, I love hearing about people's origin stories or their memories of like how this manifested in childhood and that sort of thing. It's mm-hmm. just this like broader idea of like, can we reduce it down to the one thing that made all fetishists fetishists or all kinksters kinksters or all queers queer? Because like. Why do we want to identify that one thing? What are we going to do with that information as a society? I don't know. History, not so great with that. <laughs> yeah, I might try to breed out the kinky gene. Don't love it. Yeah, don't um, love it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had a bunch of discussions with hypno-kinksters, including my spouse, about like where that came from for them. And a lot of them mm-hmm. will tell stories about watching hypnosis happen in cartoons as kids mm-hmm. and immediately being intrigued by it. And some of them will even say like, well, it's very sexualized. Like, how could you not develop a kink for it or have sexual thoughts about it? And I'm like, well, I'm not a hypnosis kinkster. And so when I saw those scenes, I did not think of them as sexualized, at least not consciously. Um, it didn't hit me mm-hmm. in the same way. And so even though some of them are crediting those cartoons with having formed their fetishes, there's also, I think, a question of like, why did it hit you that way in the first place? Like, you know, were you primed in some kind of inborn way to notice things like that in that particular way? I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. I love how many kinksters point to media as like, if not the thing that made them kinky, the like place where they first started noticing that they were kinky. Um, mm-hmm. And like, especially old school cartoons. And like, I've been watching the original Star Trek and so much of that is just fetish porn. <laughs> like, it's what, and I mean, it does not surprise me that like, media and television are full of kinky creative weirdos like yeah we wind (laughs) up in theater that sounds like one of our homes sure um but it is like like we're imaginative freaks yeah we go into sci-fi um but (laughs) it's it's very funny to me how rapidly some of those shows feel like they veer into the kinds of fetish porn i see being made now Mm. Custom, the kind of customs that I see people who are very clearly inspired by that stuff requesting, you know, mm-hmm. when you're browsing clips for sale and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, the kind of like, there have been hypnosis episodes where there are like full tropes that I've seen like in the community now, even just tangentially. And it's, it's really, I don't know, fascinating. Media is neat. Yeah, it raises the question of like, do those tropes exist in kink because they were shaped by those tropes in media? Or mm-hmm. uh, were the people writing that media uh, kinksters of that fetish themselves, whether they knew it or not? Like, right. I know that uh, the writer Jillian Keenan, who is a spanking fetishist, talks about reading old domestic discipline guides about like how to discipline your kids. Mm. And they would have, you know, pro spanking arguments in them that she says were written in the style of someone with a spanking fetish writing about spanking, like very kind of mm-hmm. uh, evocative choices of language and, and describing like hitting the child until they cry and like these very kind of like explicit descriptions that are really uncomfortable to read. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, her argument is basically these people ha- are closeted about having a spanking fetish or fully don't even know that they have that fetish Mm. yeah that is fascinating and like i mean it does make a lot of sense especially i don't know if i i again i'm just thinking about like old school star trek right but if we're talking in an (laughs) era where kink and fetish was somewhat less accessible you had to know Mm -hmm. someone to get access to the information Media is another place where people will go to live out their fantasies or tell stories of their fantasies and that sort of thing. Um, So, yeah, it makes sense that that would kind of spill out in those ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and especially, you know, in decades past when uh, kinky people were seen as even more you know, bad and immoral than they are now, there could be a sense of like, well, I've heard that all kinky people are immoral perverts. And I know that I'm not an immoral pervert. So I can't be one Mm -hmm. of them. So this can't be a fetish. It has to be something else. And so it ends up Mm -hmm. being repressed or coming out in other ways. Mm -hmm. And sci-fi is an excellent context for them. (laughs) Yeah, you can write whatever you want in sci-fi, basically. (laughs) You really can. (laughs) Especially when you have no regard for plot, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious about your experiences, uh, either like dating or hooking up with people who identify as having a fetish. Um, And especially if it was like something that you didn't inherently find sexual. Do you have any experiences like that? Yeah, you mentioned that we wanted to ask about this. And like, I 
don't know that any distinctly come to mind. Um, I think because primarily what I tend to play with tends to be on the more psychological side, I think Mm -hmm. I just seek out people with like slightly different experiences. I don't know. I haven't spoken to many people who describe their kinks as a fetish, but I have, like I said earlier, I've, I've always been really fascinated by this kind of almost sexual thrill about something that is kind of inherently non-sexual. Like, the idea of playing with someone who has a fetish, even if it's not mine, is really hot to me and always has been. And I think Mm -hmm. that's part of where that idea, like, where my growing foot fetish comes from, just because it is, like, the iconic fetish item. Yeah. So it has, like, it has just (laughs) kind of become the stand-in for the, like, yeah, I'd love to date someone with a foot fetish just because... I love the idea of like, I don't know, being able to just have my foot in their lap and that like ambiently being a turn on, which for me, like, I don't care. It means nothing to me, but oh, that's hot to you. Oh, how cute. Oh, look at you getting all flustered about this thing that means nothing to me. How fun. Like (laughs) that idea is really hot to me. So I've always been interested in playing with folks who have fetishes, but circumstances have not aligned just yet. Mm -hmm. How about you? Yeah. I've had some interesting experiences with this. Um, I did date someone who I'm pretty sure had a tickling fetish and didn't know mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have talked about this before because <laughs> I feel like I've like armchair diagnosed this guy with a bunch of things post our relationship ending just because mm-hmm. there was so much about our sex life that was utterly confusing to me that only makes sense through a certain lens of analysis in retrospect. <laughs> but um, he was, I think asexual and i shouldn't have used the word diagnose earlier because i don't mean Mm -hmm. to pathologize asexuality there's absolutely nothing wrong with it it's not a medical disorder it's a sexual orientation um Mm -hmm. but i'm pretty sure he was ace and didn't know it and i didn't realize it at the time and there are plenty of ace people who do have fetishes uh that they Mm -hmm. may or may not experience as sexual in the way that aloe people think about what is sexual um Mm -hmm. and i noticed that he was utterly unenthused about almost all forms of sex but would frequently threaten to tickle me or would tickle me Mm -hmm. uh and i mentioned to him at one point i was like did you ever think that you might have like a bit of a tickling kink and he was like hmm huh never really thought about it but maybe um (laughs) so that was one and then also i have like had sort of brief flirtationships with several people who had fetishes for specific types of objects Mm. so uh, people who are into socks, like especially like knee high or thigh high socks, I think that that mm-hmm. integrates really well with like my DDLG stuff. Um, yeah. And then I also like had a fan who has a, a headphones fetish, um, mm-hmm. and he bought me a couple pairs of headphones. And uh, some of these like more object or product based fetishes integrate pretty well with my sort of kinky inclinations especially in mm-hmm. a more dominant role because i'm really into financial domination from a a dominant perspective in some ways mm-hmm. so for me having someone buy me a thing um just so they can admire it on me is kind of inherently sexy mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. i really enjoy the occasional messages i get from my headphone fetishist follower when i post like a selfie while i'm editing this show or something where he's like, oh, you're wearing the headphones I got you. You look so cute in them and stuff like that. <laughs> that's definitely mm-hmm. a thrilling moment for me. Yeah, but I think that's all. I, I've 
often been very curious about hooking up with people with various fetishes. Like, I'm on my period right now, and every time I'm on my period, I'm like, I should really try to hook up with someone who has a blood fetish or a period fetish. <laughs> I just always think that would be really interesting because I don't know very much about, like, how that is eroticized and, like, what, mm-hmm. you know, the tropes and fantasies are in that community. I definitely relate just a little bit to the experience of, like, sometimes wishing I had a fetish or a partner with a fetish just out of convenience. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't know. That is the thing that comes up with like water sports a lot every once in a while (laughs) or something where I'm just like, I don't, if I had a piss pig, this would be hot, but I guess I'm just going to go pee in the toilet. I don't know. Jesus. (laughs) What a waste. Uh, What a waste, right? (laughs) Um, Or like sweat, which like my partner and I are more and more into these days. Um, But things like, if I'm like, if I get home and I'm holding like a particularly sweaty shirt, I'm like, someone somewhere would pay a lot of money for that. I don't know. I guess I'm just going to go wash it. <laughs> like it smells fantastic, but fine. Um, <laughs> so like, I've definitely done that. And I also really related to what you're saying about um, kind of the financial domination aspect of it. And for me, I don't even know that it would have to be from a dominant perspective, because for me, there's something a little bit of objectifying about someone buying a thing and like giving Mm. it to me just to wear it. Like, yeah, like, I don't almost servicey about like, here, no, you use this version of this now because it will look better on you because I like it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really fun. So that's certainly interesting. And like, obviously, I like presents, not mad about that. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> we had a mutual friend who I was hooking up with who told me once just in passing that he had a thing for women in like uh, knee high rainbow striped socks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bought some and wore them the next time I was going to hook up with him. So there's just something mm-hmm. like really powerful about knowing that you're able to have an effect on someone in that way. Yeah. And I think like with fetishes specifically, um, Like, I have spent so much time in my life trying to figure out how to make people like me who I want to Mm -hmm. like me. And, you know, what should I do and what should I say to make that happen, which can be really disempowering because you just don't know. And even if you think you know, it won't always work the way you want Mm -hmm. it to. Um, Whereas with a fetish, like if you're flirting with someone and they mentioned they have a fetish for something you could wear or something you could do, uh, you have that information. You know exactly what you need to do if you want to turn them on in that Mm -hmm. specific way. And and I should add the caveat that like uh, if they're not saying it in a context that directly gives you permission to actually do that thing, you know, maybe think twice about it. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a bit of a kink for like being winked at and I know that I've had experiences where I would mention that to somebody like at a party or whatever and they would wink at me just playfully and I would be a little bit thrown by it because I would have like a sexual feeling and it's like I wasn't expecting to feel that way right now and also I haven't necessarily negotiated to have that feeling with this person specifically so it felt Mm -hmm. a bit like you know not not violating that's too intense a word but um was a little bit odd so you know make sure people are okay with it before you do it if possible 
Yeah, that it reminds me of every time I teach a workshop, uh, one of the things I start with is saying that like people tend to come to my sex ed workshops expecting to get like the cheat codes to their partner, especially my blowjob workshop. They expect like the Konami code to their partner is junk and they'll know exactly how to get them off. And that doesn't exist. Like your partner doesn't have cheat codes. And kind of the caveat here is if they have a fetish, they a little bit do and can share that information with you. And it's yep. nice to have those cheat codes in your back pocket for like... Like, I don't know, knowing you can get unlimited cash in The Sims. It's handy. (laughs) Yeah, I have found it especially useful since becoming more chronically ill because Mm -hmm. I might not always have the energy to sort of like tease and pleasure a partner in this very kind of extended way. And sometimes I just want to, you know, get them turned on really fast. Like, hopefully not in a way that makes them feel like I'm rushing through things or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, with my spouse, uh, pretty much if I start doing any kind of hypno stuff, they're going to be turned on very, very quickly. And uh, so, yeah, and then once they're in trance, I can make them excited about whatever I want, you know, mm-hmm. as long as it's within the realm of what we've negotiated. So it is like a cheat code. It is like a shortcut. It's very fun. Mm-hmm. And it can be just, even if you're not like, oh, let's like, I'm tired or whatever, let's get through this. Even if it, get through this, that's a shitty way of saying that, but you know what I mean. If (laughs) you are like, tonight is the quick version of our sex. Mm -hmm. Um, It can also just be fun to be able to like, very quickly turn them on a whole lot, very simply, and then slow things back down again, right? It is just Mm -hmm. a way to kind of control the energy. And there's something powerful about being able to turn on someone you care about on a command like that quickly. This is something that feels, I don't know, both powerful and connective and kind of intimate about that because you got to know them fairly well to know where that button is, depending on the person. Yep, absolutely. So a common problem that comes up with fetishes is like incompatibility, especially Mm -hmm. if, uh, you know, a partner doesn't disclose right away that they have a fetish, which they are certainly not obligated to do. It can make things Mm -hmm. easier. Uh, but they're not obligated. Uh, But sometimes, you know, you find out that you're dating someone who has a fetish that you don't have and you find that you can't or won't fulfill it uh, or at least maybe not to the extent that they would like you to. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you think people should try to navigate incompatibility with regard to fetishes? I mean, so there is a whole spectrum of possibilities, right? We're assuming that... And it rain. <laughs> so we're assuming that this person has told you a fetish, and you're like, eh, okay, maybe I don't. <laughs> uh. um, so you know, you can talk to them about it. Talk to them about what is the thing that they are very into. See if there is a thing that you can also find hot about it. See if there is a middle ground. Is there a version of it that sounds fun? Is there kind of a dirty talking about it that sounds fun? Have you like? I do recommend. Unless it is like really particularly uncomfortable or triggering for you that you try and take some time engaging with some erotic media about it or talking to them about it or like before you fully write something off the table, provided that this is a person that you like really want to give this relationship a shot, spend some time finding out why and what's hot about it and 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 see what your perspective looks like then. Don't just make your decision based on I have an armpit fetish and then oh, and run away. Um mm-hmm. 
So once you've kind of learned a little bit about it and you've looked at it and there isn't really a version of it that sounds fun to you, you don't even really want to dirty talk about it, it's just super not sexy for you, well, are you comfortable with your partner exploring this with other people? Mm -hmm. Are you monogamous or non-monogamous? And what would non-monogamy look like in this context? Um, Are there places that your partner could find people to engage with this with? Um, if you're not comfortable with that in person, are you comfortable with them engaging with it online? Can they sext with people about it? Can they pay sex workers to make like custom content for them about it that might feel more comfortable? Um, can they like explore porn and things about it? Probably yes, because if that is your boundary, you are starting to have boundaries around other people's behavior, which is probably not the healthiest. I would explore that a little more. Yeah. Um, but with which ways are you comfortable with this person engaging with it and how much are you willing to be a part of that experience? And if like there isn't a compromise anywhere along this spectrum, then you're going to want to find people that you're more compatible with. And that's just, that's just where that is. You're not going to want to sit down and, well, maybe they'll forget about this fetish or maybe they will just, if, if we stop doing it for a while, they just won't really want it anymore. Or they'll just imagine about it or like, you're lying to both yourself and each other if you start going down that path. Um, mm-hmm. If if there really isn't a compromise anywhere along there, then there isn't a compromise anywhere along there. Yeah. Research shows that there is a lot of overlap between kinky people and non-monogamous people, which there's mm-hmm. a whole lot of reasons for that. But I do think a major one is that when you're a kinky person, you have a very specific set of sexual needs or wants, and they might always not line up with uh you know your needs and wants in a romantic way um Mm -hmm. and it can be nice to have the freedom to find those in two different places if you Mm -hmm. need to um i saw a really wild story on reddit of a fetish incompatibility thing recently that blew Mm -hmm. my mind which was this woman was describing that her husband um has a lactation fetish and so she uh had like started taking supplements and stuff to prompt lactation and was now like pumping her breasts multiple times a day in order to maintain the milk production level Uh and she was finding that he was not taking an interest in like helping her with any of that stuff um Mm. taking over additional housework so she could pump when she needed to um and he was only wanting to engage with her sexually like not as often as she was hoping even with her putting Mm. all this work into the fetish and a lot of people in the comments myself included were advising her like you you really need to talk about this and possibly break up uh because uh if you are the person with the fetish and then your partner is putting an enormous amount of effort in to try to make you happy i mean you have to show some level of appreciation for that and also Mm -hmm. i don't think it's reasonable to always expect people to put in a ton of effort for these things um you know it's about a give and take and uh, i think this is especially true if you're not making an effort on your end to be ggg about all the things that they might want to do um yeah i read that and i was like oh girl get out of there yeah it it sounds like you're definitely in a situation where that person is kind of becoming a fetish vending machine a bit yeah um and there is certainly something like as someone who is extremely service oriented it's entirely possible to put in a lot of effort into serving a fetish that you do not have for your Mm -hmm. partner and enjoy it 
mm-hmm. if you're in that situation, great, keep it up. But if it feels like work and it feels like that work is not being acknowledged or appreciated at all, that's probably not a dynamic you want to continue to be in for fun because it doesn't sound all that fun. <laughs> Yeah, when I was getting into hypnosis when I started dating Matt, uh, it, it felt like a pretty big undertaking because hypnosis is a skill set. I mean, it's an entire field of study. Um, mm-hmm. You have to read books and maybe go to workshops or whatever in order to learn how to do it. You have to listen mm-hmm. to audio files or listen to hypnotists or, um, you know, try things out. There's a whole process behind it. And uh, I was a bit overwhelmed at first, but I started with the book Mind Play by Mark Wiseman, which is a really great, like, just very basic 101 level. Here's some things you can do with erotic hypnosis and here's how to do it mm-hmm. um, with scripts and stuff. And uh, once I read that, I felt much better about it because I realized it was not quite as technical as I had always imagined it would be. It wasn't like you have to do mm-hmm. this and then this and then this. And if you don't do it perfectly, they won't go into trance. It's much more intuitive and uh, free flowing once you sort of handle the basics. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of what made me able to go through that process of learning how to do that was Matt was incredibly supportive and encouraging of all of my efforts to learn about that. And like reading that book was a book assignment, like a book report assignment that I'd been assigned as part of our DS dynamic, which mm-hmm. gave me my like good servicey submissive good girl feelings Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt has also always made an effort to incorporate hypnosis into my kinks as well, like doing hypnotic bondage and doing hypnosis to help me feel more in headspace when we're doing role play and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And they've just made a huge, huge effort to sort of connect the gap between those things. And I could see how if someone didn't do that, it would be much harder to get into mm-hmm. somebody's fetish. Yeah, it sounds like what they really recognized is that part of what was making Hypno shiny and fun and interesting to you to continue to learn about was their involvement in it because they are shiny and fun and interesting. And, you know, you had a crush on them at that point. (laughs) And like anytime you were learning about hypnosis, you were also thinking about this cute human you have a crush on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that is that is what makes it fun and makes it something you want to keep doing and makes it rewarding for you to continue learning mm-hmm. about something that on its own is not necessarily something you would have been interested in. So I think it can be really helpful if you are the person with the fetish to keep that in mind, that your engagement and your praise and excitement and like, you know, I do plenty of things simply because it will turn my partner on and the face they make when I do it turns me on. Mm-hmm. So like if recognize that your engagement is the thing that is the reward for the reason they're doing this. They're not doing it to learn about it. They're doing it because they're enjoying the sexual experience they might be able to share with you. So like show the fuck up for that. Yeah. I also think it's really important to note if you're the person who does not have the fetish, uh, really, really try not to be shaming about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's a common mindset or assumption, especially among people who consider themselves sex positive and and kink positive, that – you know, if you say a negative thing about a kink or a fetish to your partner, they'll know that you're a, a sex positive person. So they'll know that you don't mean it in a shamey way. You're just expressing a personal preference. And in fact, they may mm-hmm. not really know that or they may not feel it that way when you say it because a lot of people have a great amount of shame about their fetishes. Matt had had a previous experience with a partner having a terrible reaction when they came out about having a hypnosis fetish. And 
you know, saying it was gross and creepy and whatever. And that's Mm -hmm. genuinely traumatic. I mean, that'll fuck you up. That'll make you not want to be open about your interest to future people. And it'll, you know, become a voice in your head when you're exploring your kinks. Um, Mm -hmm. So just be really, really careful. Try not to give people a complex. You can talk about how something isn't for you, but make it about you. Don't make it Mm -hmm. about them or their thing being gross or weird or undesirable. Mm-hmm. This is also, I mean, your mileage may vary with your partner, right? But this, what this is making bringing to mind for me is uh, how helpful it can be for someone who doesn't, maybe doesn't share or doesn't get my kinks, but to also acknowledge and show that they understand them. So like if someone can make an educated joke about a kink I have that they don't share, um, if they can see a scene in a show and be like, you think that's hot, don't you? I'll be like, shut up. Yes. <laughs> right. Like these little moments of seeing that part of you and it's a thin line, right. To walk between that and like, ew, you think that's hot, don't you? Right. Like they're very yeah. different things. But if you can walk that line and you can show that like, you can hold this knowledge and not necessarily want to engage with it in a sexual way. But Mm -hmm. you can know and accept it about them and it can be part of the like, I don't know, in the same way I send my partner a picture of a thing with a four on it because I know that's their favorite number. Maybe I see (laughs) if they have a latex fetish, I see a latex thing and I send it to them. I don't share it, but it's a pretty latex thing and I know they care about that. Mm -hmm. So if you can just kind of acknowledge and support that like you're allowed to have it and you're allowed to like things I don't like and I know and love that about you in the same way I know and love all of these other things about you mm-hmm. that can be really affirming for someone who is used to either I say this and it goes well and we get to do it or I say this and it goes poorly and we never talk about it again and I just <laughs> memory hole it and pretend that it's not a thing anymore like there is a middle ground yeah. and being able mm-hmm. to inhabit that other space and not be like just visual, visibly uncomfortable anytime the idea of rubber comes up or something uh, mm-hmm. is incredibly helpful. Yeah, and on the topic of the line between like pointing out someone's you know turned on reaction versus like making fun of them for it, there are some people who are mm-hmm. into being humiliated a little bit for their fetishes like you Mm -hmm. know you're such a slut for hypnosis you get so hard when you're in trance that kind of thing but Mm -hmm. as with all this stuff you have to negotiate it very explicitly because it is such a minefield for so many people um and Mm -hmm. when you're negotiating it don't leave it at just is it okay if i make fun of you about your fetish like talk about specifically like what parts are and are not okay to make fun of what language Mm -hmm. does and doesn't feel good for this because you definitely don't want to accidentally use the word that someone used in high school when they found out about this and were angry about it or whatever. You know, you want to Mm -hmm. make sure that you know what the triggers are going to be in that area. And if you are the person who is like, presumably when you're making these little jokes or these little like nods towards your partner's thing, you know, like elbowing them in the ribs when you see the thing or whatever, this is happening after a great many conversations. So you have the tools and you understand what it is about their fetish that turns them on and what parts of it feel good and what parts of it don't. So that when you're kind of giving that little elbow nudge, it's accurate. You know the things that like... Because what's what's important about it and what's helpful about it is that little moment of being seen and not shamed. 
You're yep. giving them that nod because they certainly noticed the thing in the movie. And you're saying, hey, I remember that about you. Like, I, it's not hot for me, but I love that you're loving this right now. Mm-hmm. And being able to share that, even if, like, you're not going to sit down and share the fetish with them, uh, I think would be is really affirming and comforting. Yeah. Got a couple of listener questions. Do I want to start by talking about pee or shame? Hmm. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, let's, let's start with pee, I think. Okay. Uh, yes. One listener said, I get turned on when I watch videos of people peeing. How does one go about exploring this with someone else? And I love this question because it is actually such a beautiful moment when you kind of embark on the journey at a beginning of a fetish where you're like, oh, I think I'm into that thing, but... I don't really know how to even start. Like, what's even possible? Um, what do yeah. you suggest for a beginner trying to uh, wade their way into water sports, as it were? <laughs> well, I mean, I would start by going to, like, your most trusted partner, if you have one, or person that you are considering engaging this with and saying, so lately I've found myself really turned on by people peeing. Weird, huh? <laughs> and see where that conversation goes, right? And however you would actually bring that up, right? But if you are comfortable saying, I'm finding myself enjoying these videos, it's that's a great conversation starter. Um, we always recommend when you're suggesting a kink, um, it's best to just raise the idea of it versus how do you feel about doing this thing? Because then you're mm-hmm. not kind of putting the spotlight on them and they're able mm-hmm. to think about the idea of water sports versus immediately already putting themselves in a like, oh, I'm going to pee on someone because they may not even be showing like what they imagine may not even be what you're actually asking for if you immediately Mm -hmm. put them in the shoes of someone doing this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would start by just raising the idea of like, hey, I'm into this thing lately. You specifically mention enjoying videos. So maybe you just have your partner send you a video one day. Um, Mm -hmm. I particularly enjoy like videos from public restrooms or something too because it's cute if you're out to dinner together they can leave film it and come back right (laughs) um or they can just send it to you from when they're out or whatever um Mm -hmm. but i would start with having a partner send that to you and then if there are other things you fantasize about you can kind of explore more from there um and i would stay say each step of the way like set up in advance. I don't know how I'm going to feel about this, but like, I really enjoy seeing these videos and I'd enjoy seeing, like, I'd like to see how it feels seeing one from you. Or like, if it gets to a point where you're going to have someone pee on you or in your mouth or whatever that looks like, um, you can say, hey, I'm going to try this out. Like, it's hot for me to fantasize about. Let's find out if it's hot to do. Because it might not be. And creating Mm -hmm. space for you to be like, ha, that one's better in my head. Uh, (laughs) Creating space for that in advance can make it easier to say afterwards if they're already aware it's an option. Mm-hmm. I think uh, focusing your requests on your own desire and your own turn-ons can be really helpful. And I know that mm-hmm. that can be hard when you're still early in the process and you're still not entirely comfortable even maybe saying out loud you're turned on by a pee. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do think it's better rather than to say like, hey, could you send me a video of you peeing, which might make the person feel sort of like uncomfortable, not really sure how to act in the video and, and sort of having to overcome their own shame about doing that. You mm-hmm. could be like, it would really turn me on if you would send me a video of you peeing. 
which is a subtle difference, but mm-hmm. I do think that's going to make them feel a lot more confident and less uncomfortable when they're doing it for you because they know exactly why. Um, as far as beginner water sports things, I would definitely recommend uh, – well, this depends on whether you want to be peed on or you want to do the peeing. And maybe it's both and maybe you're not sure. But mm-hmm. however you do it, I would suggest starting with uh, you're in a bathtub or a shower or whatever, somewhere that's easy to clean. And someone pees on someone else. But don't start with peeing into their mouth. Uh, I think people sometimes just want to go whole hog on it right away. It's a very intense thing. You don't want to have a super intense reaction if something is unexpected. So like when I first started doing water sports, my partner would like pee on my chest where I could sort of like see it and smell it and feel it, but didn't have to get it in my mouth and just sort of like acclimatize myself to that Mm -hmm. and notice how I was feeling about that without like the overwhelmingness of like, even more senses being involved mm-hmm. um that was really helpful for me I, I would say like also watch a broad range of porn that features this thing read erotica about it uh because you're gonna get ideas about like what aspects of this kink you are and are not into and you're gonna kind of like fine-tune your perception of your fetish mm-hmm. also uh this may seem obvious but drink a lot of water the day you're doing mm-hmm. this because yeah. like Greatly diluted pee is much more fun to play with, and it's also water sports on easy mode. Um, <laughs> and if you are having someone peeing like on your chest or even on your face, like you can ambiently get some on near or around your mouth, which is a very mm-hmm. different experience from someone pissing directly into your mouth. Um, <laughs> so you can kind of like get acclimatized to that idea without just like diving in head first. I also, something else that came to mind when you were talking about, I love what you said about uh, saying it would really turn me on to see a video mm-hmm. of you peeing. I think also if your partner doesn't share this and is like particularly nerdy, it might be helpful. It might also be intimidating. This is going to be like your mileage may vary. Talk to your partner. But it might be helpful to send them a couple of videos that you've watched online that you've enjoyed. Because Mm -hmm. if someone doesn't eroticize water sports or whatever your fetish is, they're not going to know how to make it hot and it might feel weird. Like if they Mm -hmm. can see other videos of someone peeing and go, oh, I don't find this hot but I can see the formula that makes it hot. Like, mm-hmm. oh, look, all of them are playing up this, like, oh, I got to go so bad, and they're rushing into the toilet. I wouldn't have thought to do that, but that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whatever it is, whatever, like, themes tend to go, like, oh, they're all naked. I would have left my clothes on because that's how I normally <laughs> pee, right? There are a lot of things that you may see in a video that wouldn't occur to you if you don't share the fetish. But fetish content is fairly specific. It does tend to follow pretty specific formulas. And if a person has a fetish, they're going to have found the sections of that content that speaks to that. So -hmm. if you're trying to appeal to it, it might help to also see what's in their spank bank. Yep, for sure. I started to understand hypno kink a lot better once I started to notice some of those tropes and things that I wouldn't have thought of as someone who doesn't have that fetish, like the emphasis on words like mindless and Mm. blank and, uh, you know, I, I would never have thought of those. Well, that's not true. I I'm into subspace. So (laughs) there is something erotic about that for me, but I didn't really directly connect that idea with hypnosis. Like I was thinking, what are hypno kinksters into? Like 
pendulums, pocket watches, which like kind of, but that's not the extent of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, when you started to say, no, I'm like into subspace, I understand my brain had you be like, no, that's not true. I have a very extensive vocabulary. I definitely would have thought of those words, <laughs> <laughs> which is not what you were saying, but it's the version of you in my head and that. Yeah. Anyway, I I'm a genius. Yeah, I exactly. I would have gotten there. I feel like I play a lot of Scrabble. I definitely would have thought of those words. <laughs> Great at <Yeah>. dirty talking. <laughs> okay, one more question. This listener mm-hmm. says, how to aftercare when someone gets flooded with anger related to sexual shame after orgasm? Um, I've definitely had people experience sexual shame after orgasm. I don't know that I've ever had people get angry about it i don't even would they be angry at themselves i'm not really sure how that would manifest i mean it could i think it could very easily manifest inward or outward and i don't know that it would necessarily have to be like angry about the situation i know Mm. like there are certain brain states where i am just angry about whatever's happened like just everything is wrong every everything around Mm -hmm. me is wrong and i just get angry at either other things or myself and it's when i'm dealing with big feelings like shame or fear or avoidance or whatever um Mm -hmm. so i could definitely see like i get kind of prickly i can see someone with a much more like aggressive someone who directs their anger outward much more aggressively than i do um Mm because mine tends to be directed inward um I could totally see that being a response to not wanting to deal with those feelings of shame and that sort of thing. Um, if the person is engaging with the situation and saying like, hey, sometimes anger is my response to shame that I have after these sexual situations, right? Okay, have a conversation when they're not in that situation and discuss like, hey, um, you know, what, what, how, what do you find supportive in those moments? How do you bring yourself out of those moments? Is there a way I can help with that? Or is it best for me to just leave, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if your partner is aware that this is a thing that they do, and they're coming to you and saying, hey, how can we fix this? Like, develop a plan with them together and, and execute it together. Um, that said, if this is just a thing you're noticing, I don't know necessarily that you're going to be able to twist your partner's arm into addressing it. I find people who respond to big emotions with anger tend to be people who are not ready to address those big emotions because anger is easy to grab at. And Mm -hmm. that's where people go. I mean, this is like (laughs) where this ends is at like shit, like the gay panic defense and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. I was scared and ashamed and got angry and lashed out at other people. Um, Right. That is not something you are obligated to put up with, to help someone through, to tolerate just to have presumably great sex that you had before this, if it's even worth the question. Mm. Um, Like, if that doesn't, if someone's treating you like shit because of they can't deal with the feelings they're having about themselves, you're allowed to opt out of that. You're allowed to say you have some shit to figure out and that Mm -hmm. figuring out that shit is a prerequisite for continuing to have sex with me. That's Mm -hmm. a line you're allowed to have. Um, And if they are at least acknowledging that like, hey, I've got some work to do and they are a person who is worth that work for you, then I think you can absolutely develop a plan and just talk to them about, okay, when you're angry like that, what does that feel like? 
Because if they're lashing out out of anger, they are, even if they are covering up shame or other complicated feelings, in that moment, they are feeling angry. Like, those are, the, mm-hmm. those are the feelings they're expressing. Those are the feelings they are feeling. And it may be because feeling angry is easier than feeling ashamed, but they're still feeling angry. So, like, what does that feel like? How do you like to be treated when you're angry? How do you diffuse from your anger pretty well? Um, answers to questions like that can be really helpful. And recognizing that, like, maybe you cut the time down that they're going to be angry, but, like, maybe for a little while you like that is a feeling that they're going to work on getting through Mm -hmm. and it may just be a thing that they're experiencing and you can work on together anyway i'm talking in circles at this point no i'm glad that you made all those points uh and i agree uh for sexual shame in general i think it can be really helpful to preempt that shame reaction if possible with a lot of reassurance Mm -hmm. especially right after uh you know that was so hot i'm so glad that you did that with me i'm so glad that you shared your fetish with me um talking about your own kinks both in and out of the bedroom casually to establish that positive environment within your relationship Mm -hmm. that can help um and i also think it's possible that this is sort of like a fight flight type of reaction um Mm -hmm. It it reminds me of work I've done with my therapist in trauma therapy about, like, structural dissociation. And there's sort of this model of, like, fight, flight, fawn, freeze, Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe some other ones. And uh, the fight reaction is not one that I experience, but when I do get triggered with, like, a big dose of shame about something, I tend to go into, like, a submit or fawn state or a freeze Mm -hmm. state. Um, And so there's strategies that therapists have and mental health resources have on offer that that can help with this like I usually will do something physical like get up and walk around or push against a wall to feel my own strength or um, do something that changes my temperature go for a walk take a shower or bath hold an ice cube in my hand Um, I don't know whether the strategies for the fight part of that reaction might be different Mm -hmm. uh, but that would be something worth looking into because uh, being triggered is no joke and uh, it may come from like legit trauma and there are strategies you can use to help with that yeah yeah that's excellent and depending on the conversations with you have you have with your partner i think those words of affirmation you talked about are really helpful and you may be able to find the bits of like if you can find the kernels of the shame the like not oh i'm bad for liking this but like really what is the, what where you can where you can find the root of it and if you can find ways to kind of reinforce that mm-hmm. uh, along the way like I know this is more an insecurity than a shame thing for you but you have insecurities around how long it takes you to get off sometimes mm-hmm. and your partner can just structure in throughout without you having to ask about it like I'm here for as long as I want to be or like I'm doing this because I enjoy this and that sort of thing so if you can find mm-hmm. other affirmations that kind of combat the shame before it crops up that are particularly, I don't know, specialized to your partner's shame, you know, heat seeking Mm -hmm. missile kind of thing. It -hmm. may be helpful. It may also shine a spotlight on a thing they're insecure about, right? So it's about talking to them, but. Yep. Wow. We're killing it on advice today, if I may say so. (laughs) 
Thanks for joining us for this episode. Uh, we did get some listener questions that were just like, what do you think about this highly specific fetish? And uh, if we get enough of those ever at some point, we could do an episode that's just that, where we just talk about our thoughts on particular fetishes. Uh, feel free to DM me on social media about that or send an email to thedildorks at gmail.com and maybe we can collect enough to do an episode sometime. Yeah, fetish tourism. I've been Kate Sloan. I have a sex blog at girlyjuice.net. I have a weekly newsletter at katesloan.substack.com. My most recent post there was about cuckolding porn and kind of a dissection of why I was into this particular cuckolding porn scene I was watching. Mm. I also have a book coming out, which you can pre-order at 101kinkythings.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. And you can listen to my other podcast, Question Box, the shockingly, uh, nope, the game show podcast of shockingly personal questions. Where's your stuff? I'm Bex. You can find all my writing and information about my workshops at BexTalkSex.com. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at BexTalkSex. I'm also very naked on the internet as Billy Lore. <laughs> so you can go to at Billy Lore on Twitter for like fairly consistent updates of my ass. And just for dot fans slash Billy Lore and also search Billy Lore on many vids for uh, plenty more things you can throw money at me for. Uh, together we are the Dildorks. We're at the Dildorks on Twitter and Instagram and thedildorks.com. You found us by searching the Dildorks in your favorite podcast app, and you can go to patreon.com slash the Dildorks to throw money at us there as well. Thanks so much to Protodome for the use of his song, I Want You in My Bedroom, as our theme song. Thank you to Amy, who did our logo. She is at starboots underscore on Twitter. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. Bye. Bye.